Well, I would invite you to remain standing as we continue our reading through Luke chapter 15. Uh, read from verses 11 to 32, and this will be our sermon text this morning. Congregation, hear the word of the Lord. And he, that is Jesus, said, There was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet, and bring the fatted calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field. And as he came, he drew near to the house. He heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf, because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, but I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Amen. So far the reading of God's word. Please be seated. Let's ask for the Lord's help in prayer. Let's pray. Well, Father, as we come to your word again this morning, uh, to a familiar passage, oh God, may we not tune you out. Lord, open our ears, shatter our deafness, open our eyes, even the eyes of the blind here among us, that they might see Jesus again this day. Lord Jesus, 
you high and lifted up, the one who was crucified to save sinners. Oh God, build us up in the faith where there is faith. If, if anyone is here who does not know you, oh Lord, we pray that you might open their hearts to Jesus this day. Create faith even in the grave, Lord. That they might be saved. Lord, we pray that you would be with us now. In Christ's name, amen. Brothers and sisters, last summer I got the chance to spend some time at home and a few buddies and I went out one afternoon and we got to relive the glory days over at the school. We were playing a little baseball, playing a little catch, taking a little BP, and it was a lot of fun. You know, it felt good, uh, but it didn't feel so good after about three buckets of balls or getting a little stiff, you know, and you know, we decided it's time to pack it in, time to pack it in, and so we getting ready to go, and then, wouldn't you know it, one of the guys does this. Oh no, where are my keys? And so we're all then looking through the field, combing through the bleachers, looking for these keys, and you could see the sun start going down, and the sweat starts forming on his brow as he's thinking about, oh no, <laughs> how am I going to break into my own house in front of my kids? <laughs> Have you been there? Not a fun place. And then, of course, one of us goes, I got him. I got the keys. Oh, you could see the joy, the relief on his face. Something as silly as finding lost keys. Maybe you've lost your phone before. Panic attack, right? Ah, my wallet. Ah. Makes such a difference. What about a lost sheep? Lost coin? Maybe a son? you imagine a lost son? And today, we read the parable of the prodigal son, as it's commonly called. Uh, I think that's actually a misnomer, if I could be that bold. Tim Keller likes to call it the parable of the prodigal God. Other commentators call it the parable of the waiting father, because it's actually centered on the love of the father for both sons. And we we find out here that both sons are actually lost. The love of the Father, the love of God for both his sons is really what this story is about. The one is prodigal, and the other is too proper for his own good. And so we'll look at this story as we look first at the insult of the prodigal, and we'll look at the embrace of the Father, and then finally we'll look at the insult of the son who was too proper for his own good as we consider God's love for his children today. Brothers and sisters, I want you to imagine yourself there in that original audience there as Jesus is telling this story for the first time. You know, sandals and all, you're there at the table. Jesus is there. And who's sitting around the table? You got your sinners and tax collectors, the scripture says. And outside, the Pharisees are grumbling, they're angry. Right? The scribes and the Pharisees, they're always grumbling about Jesus. And he tells first the story of the lost sheep, and then he tells the story of the lost coin, and now he gets to the climax, the story of the son. And it's one parable. It's as this parable, three chapters. We're at the climax, and the atmosphere, brothers and sisters, would have been absolutely electric in the room as Jesus is telling 
this story. Everybody understands what he's doing. Absolutely electric as we consider God's love and joy in finding the lost. You feel the tension raised from the outset, right? We're not talking about one out of a hundred sheep. We're not talking about one out of ten coins. Jesus says, this guy has two sons. We just feel our heartbeat going. Two sons. Tension. It's level ten. And we hear the younger son then say, he wants his share of dad's inheritance early. He's not just asking for a cash advance in that culture. You know what he's saying in that culture? He's saying, Dad, I wish you would drop dead so I could get your stuff. That's what he's saying. Not very nice. I wish you would die so I could get the inheritance now. Wow. And you would expect an ancient Middle Eastern patriarch to go in and have some words with his son, wouldn't you? Maybe a little bit more than words, even. He's acting like a brat, shaming his family. And actually, the father surprises us. He says he divides his livelihood, just like that. Divides it up for this son. And according to the law, he would have, uh, the younger son would have received a third of the inheritance, maybe a little less because of this advance. Uh, the elder brother would have received probably two-thirds. And in those days, you didn't just have cash, right? Cash was not king. This is an agrarian society. They're farmers. And so when it says that he divided up the inheritance, what's going on? He's dividing up the land. He's dividing up the farm. And then it says the younger son, after a few days, he gathers it all together. Well, how do you gather land together? You liquidate it. You sell it. Can you imagine a third of your business, a third of your land, up in smoke, overnight? That's what this kid is doing to his dad. A third of the farm, up in smoke. Doesn't even wait around, just sells it nice and easy. Doesn't play the market. Hope you like the new neighbors, Dad. I don't really care. I'm out of here. I'm going to Vegas. And the younger son, he goes off to the far country, it says. And to the Jews, the far country... That didn't just represent, you know, I'm going to California for work. No, no. Think of how important geography was to the Jews. You had to go to temple in Jerusalem, the promised land, all of this. So important for the Jews to think about geography. And when he goes to the far country, what he's saying is he's turning his back on everything that dad ever wanted for him. He's rejecting everything. He's saying, Dad, I hate your guts. I'm 18 and I'm making my own rules now. I am so sick and tired of you dragging me off to church Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. I'm going to Bale's country. I'm joining a cult. I'm going to Vegas. That's the idea of what this son is saying. It's a conversation I'm sure many of us have heard before. This kid, he's always got a face. I can always see faces of people I grew up with when I read this story. And he goes off. And he turns his back on Dad, turns his back on everything that Dad ever wanted for him. And he squanders the inheritance on his belly. 
on desire. And he burns through the cash doing all sorts of crazy stuff. And it says that a mighty famine arose in that far country. Things weren't good for him there. God let him go, but God let him go and hit rock bottom. And now God's got his attention there. His rumbling belly has gotten his attention. It was harsh timing, but it was necessary. His belly's rumbling, and God has got him. He's been living like a pig, and so it's fitting then that this kid hires himself out to a pig farmer there, a foreigner, a Gentile. He's a nice Jewish boy tending swine, right? That's not even close to kosher. And to the original audience, I mean, that's, oh, how the mighty have fallen. This is like the most horrifying thing you could think of. He's now a pig farmer in a foreign country, turned his back on dad, turned his back on God, and he's identifying with what? Swine. It's hard to think of an equivalent picture today. It really is. You know, in that, we live in a pluralistic society. To them, you were a Jew uh, nationally, ethnically, religiously, your family, everything rolled into one. And here this kid has none of that. It's all gone, evaporated. You know, it doesn't quite, quite reach, but um, I always just think about, you know, the kid who was raised in the church, and then he gets sucked into the gang life. Starts using drugs, and it goes a little further, a little further, and now he's in the gang. He's pushing heroin, living in some crack house. And no one gives him any sympathy. The text says no one gave him anything there in that far country as he's living in the pig pen, wanting the pods that the pigs are eating, wanting to eat the pig slop. That's the life he's left with. And boys and girls, I want to warn you right now. The devil may make sin look fun. He may dangle temptation before your eyes and say, oh, it'll just be our little secret. No big deal. Little sin. Little sin. And he'll tempt you to that far country, but I want you to know, no one will give you any sympathy in that far country at the day of days. No one will be able to even dip their finger in water to quench your thirst in hell. No, no. There will be no sympathy in that far country. Turn around. Come back to God now before it's too late. While today is still called day, today is the day of salvation. Don't harden your hearts. Listen to what God is saying. Sin will just try to leech all the life it can out of you. The devil does not care about you. And the kid has this turning point there in verse 17. He comes to himself, it says. He says, what have I done? He's there in the pig pen. What have I done? You know, dad's day laborers. That's what he's talking about in the Greek. The day laborers. The guys have no guarantee of work tomorrow. Even they can feed their families. Meanwhile, here I am starving to death in the gutter. And, you know, maybe it's not the greatest motivation in the whole world to turn around and come home. But it's a start. His rumbling belly got his attention there in the pigsty. 
And I think his speech is pretty good here. What's he say? I take him to be saying, I've sinned against heaven. And when he says, I've sinned against heaven, really what he's saying is, I've sinned against God. Right? Jews didn't always like to say God out of respect. It's called a circumlocution. Kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God are the same thing. And so he's showing respect for the way he was raised right there. Showing respect for the way dad raised him. Say, I sinned against heaven. Plus, I've sinned against you, Dad. I'm not worthy to be called your son after everything I've done. Make me like one of your workers. I know I've devastated your reputation and your business, but hire me back. Let me start paying you back. I'm starving and I'm willing to work. And, you know, I may not be able to make things right again, but at least I can start to make them a little bit better than they are right now. He wants to earn his way back. Maybe not into the family, but at least he can earn some of dad's stuff. You know, the crumbs that fall from the table, as it were. He can earn food. And so he stands up and, you know, brushes himself off after all that pig slops on him and starts the long walk back home. And you can just picture him walking, that long walk home, practicing his speech, making sure his inflection is just so. Well, he's still a long way off, the text says. Maybe just cresting the hill. Because the Father sees him and has compassion. You wonder how long had the Father been watching that horizon line for his son to come home? How long had Dad been just looking out the window, peering out to see his son, his long-lost son, come home? The picture is like dad falling out of his chair on the front porch. It's beautiful. We see the father's heart there for his son. It makes me think of an old country song. This guy and his wife, they get in a fight. And she leaves. And he says, look, honey, I'm going to leave the light on for you so you know it's okay to come back home. And then the chorus, of course, goes, every light in the house is on. Hold Backyards lit up like the crack of dawn. It's like an airstrip. He's saying, it's okay to come home. I love you. That's what the Father's saying here. Every light is on. Come home right now. Don't resist. I love you and I miss you. This is not the stern father figure that we thought we, we saw. And the Father, he has compassion, it says, and he runs to him. That's incredibly undignified for a man of that station. You know, boys and girls would run, women might run, but men, absolutely not. You had these long robes back then, and you can just picture the father. He's got to pick that robe up, show a little leg, run out there. It looked totally goofy. Men did not do this, but this guy does. This guy doesn't care what anybody else thinks. He cares about his son. And he has compassion and he runs to him. And it says he falls on his neck, kissing him, hugging him, embracing him. Even with all the pig slop, all the sin that's clinging to him. He runs to him. Every light is on. He loves his son. All is forgiven. I miss you. And I love you. And the son, I can't believe it. Starts making an apology. 
I'm not worthy to be called your son after everything I did. And you can imagine the father just recoiling in shock as he's there hugging him. What? You can't believe? And so he says, he doesn't believe he's my son. Go ahead and get the best robe, get the best suit, put it on him. No son of mine is going to dress like he's been living in a pig pen. No, no. Get the best robe. No doubt about his status. And then, while you're at it, go ahead and get the ring. Put it on his finger. Get the family ring, right? The signet ring. The credit card, as it were. And give it to him. This is my son. This is my son. And, by the way, no son of mine is going to walk barefoot. Get sandals and put them on his feet. You know, in those days, slaves would go barefoot. If they had shoes, they had to take them off when they went into the master's house. No son of mine is going to walk around barefoot. There will be no question about who this kid is. He's not a slave. He's not trying to work his way back into my embrace. He is my son. No doubt about it. No doubt about it. Totally restored in a moment. He is declared son, not a slave. No probation. And then the party really starts, doesn't it? You know, there was partying over a a sheep and a coin, and there is major partying over the prodigal son. The father has the fatted calf killed. And this is like the party of a lifetime, boys and girls. You know, the fatted calf was like the highest form of luxury you could think of. Now, I love barbecues. I love hamburgers, hot dogs. This is like we're getting out filet mignon, prime rib, lobster tail, the whole nine yards. Everybody's there. This is the meal you'd have if the president came to your house. If the king came over, you'd have the fatted calf. This is like the party to end all parties. Dad is pulling out the stops to show his love. And what's the reason? That the text gives us. This, my son, was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And the father couldn't help but rejoice. The son who wished him dead is back home as if from the grave. The son who left God and wandered far from home has been found. And the son is welcomed home not because he worked his way back. Not at all. The father wouldn't have it. He's welcomed home simply and solely because of the Father's love and because of grace. That's why he's home. You don't need to be a rocket scientist, brothers and sisters, to see that uh, this is a story about the gospel. Jesus is saying in no uncertain terms that uh, the Father rejoices over his lost son's and daughters who repent and come home to him in faith and receive his grace. He says it again and again. Verse 7 about the lost sheep. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who need no repentance. Verse 10 about the coin. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And it's arresting to think, brothers and sisters, this is God's heart for you and me. Those who have come to him in faith, embraced the Savior and his grace. This is God's heart for us. It doesn't matter what you've done. I don't care how far you've gone off in sin. I don't care what you've done. You can't out-sin his love and his grace 
for you in Jesus Christ. You don't need to try to clean yourself up to come home. What did the prodigal do? He didn't get new robes. He came home barefoot and stinking. And the father ran to him, embraced him, kissed him, threw a party for him. That is what God does for us in Jesus Christ. He meets us not halfway, but with the the perfect robe of righteousness that belongs to Jesus Christ, our Savior. He gives us all what we need in Jesus Christ. Don't try to clean yourself up. Come to Jesus. Come home, no matter what you've done, no matter where you are today. Come to Jesus today. You don't believe that he'll forgive you. You have trouble that believing that God the Father would embrace you after everything you've done? Well, I want to ask you, you know, how much wider do those hands need to be nailed upon the cross for you to believe? How much wider do they need to be nailed for you to get that this is for real? Jesus loves me. This I know. For the Bible tells me so. Look to the cross. You need more help than that. Let me draw you a picture. That's what God says. I'll draw you a picture. You feel dirty. You feel like you've been living in a pig pen. You got all that muck and mire all over you. You feel filthy because of your sin. Let me draw you a picture here. He says, I'm going to wash you clean. I'll sprinkle your heart clean. Yet, boys and girls, you see Dad wash the car. It's all dirty. He gets the hose out. He sprays it down, and it's all clean again. That's what God is saying he's going to do for us in the gospel. He says, let me draw you a picture in baptism. I'll sprinkle your heart clean because of what Jesus has done. That's how much I love you. you I need need more help. I still can't believe. He says, all right, I'll draw you another picture. Look to the table. Look to the table. He's not just giving you the fatted calf. He's giving you so much more than a fatted calf. He's saying, This my body, given for you, this do in remembrance of me. What more does he have to do to prove his love for you and me, brothers and sisters? What more can he give than what he's given in Jesus Christ? You know, it's so tempting to just stop the story right there. Say, amen, let's go home. But that's not the story that Jesus told, is it? got another chapter there. All is not well. And we read in verse 25 that the elder brother comes home and he's been out in the sun all day. You know, I picture him coming home. There's a, he's there in his square body. You know, the, the dust is just flying out behind. Window open, radio cranking. His neck's a little red. He's a little tired, a little cranky. And he pulls up to the house and he sees about a million cars in the driveway. And you're singing and dancing. What is going on? He calls one of the guys over. What's this all about? What's the party about? And the guy says, "Uh, your brother's home, safe and sound. Dad killed the fatted calf. Throwing a party. And what does the elder brother say? say, All right, party time. No. The text says he was angry. He was furious. Strange reaction. You know, sharing a meal in those days, it was a sign of unity, a sign of friendship. And this elder brother, he's saying, I will have none of him. He's dead to me. He's not my brother anymore. You know, we see Christ's stark realism 
here in this story, don't we? God is so ready to forgive. And yet people like to hold a grudge, don't we? Gossip about what happened in high school. I remember what she did, and I will never, never let her live it down. Right? Isn't that where you and I live in this world? Especially, this is earthy stuff. This is true. But again, we see that the father is on the move, even with the elder brother. He doesn't just roll his eyes at this temper tantrum and say, get over yourself. No, he goes out. And he, he entreats him. He pleads with him. Come, join the party. Everybody's here. Right? This is, he's pulling out all the stops in this party. And then he goes out. And he says, come on. Join the party. And this is making reality TV just like wither away. This is weak compared to... Reality TV doesn't hold a candle to this, does it? Leaving the party on damage control. He doesn't care what anybody else thinks. He just cares about his kids. And the elder son has his speech now, and you can just hear him seething through the text. He says, look, great start, look, how many years have I slaved away for you? I never disobeyed you once. And what did it get me? You never even gave me a goat to party with my friends. And here you are, giving this guy uh, squandered your livelihood this son of yours who squanders it all on prostitutes, the fatted calf. I mean, come on. Come on. You're killing me. You're killing me. He's saying, you know, you break out the champagne and the caviar for this deadbeat. And then, you know, when my friends come over, it's ramen noodles. Uh, notice he says it's your son. He doesn't say my brother. He's disowned him. He's bitter. He's not even going into his own house to eat. And I wonder, brothers and sisters, is he saying not my father? Is he saying not my father there? Because he sure doesn't sound like a son the way he's talking to his father. He sounds more like a hired hand. Somebody under contract trying to earn dad's stuff. What's he say? I've been obedient. I've put in the hours. I've earned the fatted calf. Not this embarrassment of a gutter dweller. I've prayed. I've volunteered. I taught Sunday school. I got the tuition money together for Christian school. I homeschooled. I did everything. What do you want from me? Tell me what you want and I'll do it, God. I wonder if we relate to the Father sometimes this way. Trying to earn blessing. Trying to earn what God gives by grace. The Father is so gentle in His response. You see, his tenderness, not just for the younger son, but the elder as well. He's saying, son, you're always with me. All that I have is yours. It's all yours. Right? He's already divided the inheritance. He's not losing out on anything. If the elder brother wanted the fatted calf, all he had to do was ask. He never asked. I was willing to give you, your brother, the, the inheritance early. Don't you think I would have done the same for you? Don't make this about the money. 
don't make it about that at all. And then he gently corrects his son's language there. He says it was fitting. It was literally necessary to celebrate and be glad. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Just like he said in verse 24, right? Actually, no. No, he says, your brother, your brother was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And the father is there showing radical grace to both brothers, not only in accepting the prodigal back, but offering acceptance to the proper elder brother who thought he had to earn dad's love and dad's stuff. He's saying, it's all grace, so rejoice for your brother. Stop it. I'm going to leave the light on for you too. Come home. And that's how the story ends. You find out that actually both sons, both sons were lost. And one came home. But what's the other son going to do now? You know, as Christ told the story in that first setting there, I'd imagine you could hear a pin drop when he finishes this story. It's not just a nice sentimental thing. Give us butterflies. This is like, I'm turning the whole world upside down with this story type of parable. Jesus is telling the story at a table while surrounded by sinners and tax collectors. The scum of the earth. The prodigal son is there at the table. And who's outside? The scribes and the Pharisees. The insiders. The elder brother. The people who thought they had it all figured out. And what's he saying? You guys are lost. You've rejected me. You've rejected Jesus. You cannot have the Father without the Son. You need to come in and embrace your brother. You need to rejoice over the lost being found, not throw a temper tantrum. You need to celebrate God's grace. Stop making it about you. Make it about Jesus. Their whole system was wrong. It was a big fat flunk. That's what Jesus is saying. You've totally misunderstood God. God's love can't be earned. It's all grace. And the invitation is open to any and all who will believe that Jesus Christ died for their sins. I don't care if you're the prodigal son or the one who is too proper for his own good. We're all lost and we all need to come home. In other words, Jesus is saying, the sinners and tax collectors have come home. Why won't you scribes and Pharisees come? Enjoy the party. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how oft would I have gathered you in? It's mother hen with her chicks, but you would not. That's what he's saying. Why are you making it about you? Come to me and live. Come to me and live. It's an open ending here in this story. You know, a um, million dollar question here today. What are you going to do with that open ending? What are you and I going to do about this ending? We know that the decision many of the scribes and Pharisees made that day, many of them made the wrong one. They refused to go in and enjoy the party there with Jesus. They refused to celebrate grace. What are you and I going to do about this? Will we go in 
and celebrate God's grace, or will we stay outside? It's an open ending. How will you finish this story today? I so wish that the elder brother would just get over his pride and go in, don't you? I think that's the point Jesus is trying to make here. Because God rejoices in finding the lost. God says, forget finding keys. I want to find the kids. I want the kids with the pig slop still on them. I want those kids. That's what Jesus is saying here. I want the kids who've gone off to the far country, cursed God, cursed Dad. I want them to come home. I want those kids. I want the kids who got sucked up into things that they should have never gotten involved in. They're fooling around with drugs now, and nobody knows about it. I want those kids to come home, come out of the darkness right now into the light. God knows what you've done. He's been watching you the whole time, and his love never changes. Come home, just as you are. He says, I want those kids. I want the kids with the rainbow-colored hair to come home. Such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified. He wants those kids to come home just as they are and be saved, and then he'll sanctify. He will transform. He will transform, but he wants them to come home. And he wants the kids that are so uptight that they haven't taken their tie off in 40 years. He wants those kids too. The kids that are so uptight, there's not a blade of grass out of place in their lawn. He wants those kids. He wants the scribes and the Pharisees to come home. And he wants the sinners and the tax collectors to come home to his table of love. You know, there's one other thing about the elder brother. I really don't like him. He's kind of a wet blanket, in my opinion. I wish he wasn't, but he is. I wish that when his younger brother went off to the far country, I wish that he didn't go pouting and you know, whining and trying to look down on him. I wish that the elder brother got up, went to the far country, grabbed his younger brother, brought him home to dad, and they could be one big happy family again. And maybe go play catch in the front yard or whatever, have a barbecue. That would be a way better story in my opinion. And you know that's actually the story of the gospel. That's what Jesus Christ, our great elder brother, has done for us. In Adam, we all turned our back on God, and this whole world became the far country. We were plunged into sin and darkness and rebellion, and we wanted nothing to do with God. But God wouldn't have it that way. And he sent his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life through Jesus Christ. Jesus came into the pig pen of this world, died for sinners to clean us up and reconcile us to our heavenly Father. Thank God that he did that. Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. Let us then boast only and ever in that cross by which we're saved. Amen. Let us pray. Our Father and our God, we do thank you for the great love with which you loved us in Jesus Christ. 
that you spared not any expense in saving us, that you ran to us at the cross, that Jesus Christ took on flesh, came into this world, this pig pen of our sin, paid every debt, uh, and has given us not just some, but all blessings in the heavenly places, that our inheritance is safe and secure in heaven right now. There is nothing that we can do that could ever stop your love for us in Jesus Christ. We thank you for that unstoppable, boundless love, that unstoppable, boundless grace that you poured out at the cross. Oh, Lord, help us to be people who rejoice in that salvation. May the joy of the Lord be our strength as we go from this place. And Lord, may we be careful to give you all the honor and the glory for that which you've done for us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.